just blessed to have uh, Pat Herster. His wife is over in Granger. Um, they're, they're doing double duty today. Um, but uh, you've been in missions for th- 33 years. Since you went out, you, this church has supported you. My predecessor, Ed Tyler, was, uh, was here when, when Pat and Suzanne came here and were itinerating. He said it was 96 you were itinerating, right, or something like that. And then a few years later, you find the out. And, but they've been in... Uh, they've been over there for so long that they're area directors and, and, and seen a lot of things, and but doing some marvelous things. I've heard some initially some good things was happening with the continent of Africa. Don Stevens was was t- referring some things. So, but um, but I mean these are just genuine people, and this is a whole thing. You know, uh, th- our missions thing. For years, we we were at best able to get half of our pledges filled, and it's about about a year ago we started redoing that and. So we've been, we started hitting our our whole goal now. And so when we do that, we get ice cream at the end of our church family dinner. So we got ice cream again. So, but but see, Pat, he's one of them. This this is where the support goes to is real people doing real ministry on a real mission field. So let's welcome our brother Pat. Man. Hey, good morning. Thank you. What a joy it is to be here. It's great to see Tim and Cindy again and uh, to see you all. It's, uh, uh, it, yeah, it's been, we've been missionaries for uh, 33 years and, oops, sorry, my iPad is not wanting to cooperate with me. Not very good at, uh, at multitasking. Uh, but we, yeah, we've been missionaries for uh, 33 years. We started out uh, pretty young. We went to uh, the mission field just right out of college. We graduated from university. I had a teaching degree. Uh, my wife, Suzanne, had a degree in nursing, and we just wanted to do something for Jesus. And uh, we thought we would go for two years, and then we would uh, come back and uh, you know, pursue the American dream, and, and everything would be great. But God had different plans for us. And that two-year assignment has now stretched into 33 years, and it has just been a, a wonderful joy and a wonderful journey and an incredible privilege to, uh, to live and uh, to serve in Africa in all these years. And shortly after our first term, uh, we were here in somewhere around 96 or 97, and uh, we had just evacuated, and uh, it was a traumatic first term, just to be brutally honest. Uh, we didn't even know for sure what was going to happen uh, next, but uh, the Lord just said, keep on moving forward, and that's just what we did. Uh, we didn't know what was next, and I, I remember we were here with uh, yeah with Pastor Ed, and we just shared our heart and shared our experience, and so we don't really know what's next, but we just know that God is calling us back to Africa, and the country that where we were serving at at the time was closed because of the evacuation, and... Uh, you guys just said, man, we want to be a part of, uh, be a part of what God is doing in Africa, and we want to send you guys back, and so uh, you've been with us for all these years, and so thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just a real joy uh, to be here with you, and as uh, Pastor uh, mentioned, uh, my wife Suzanne is uh, down in, uh, in Granger. We're, uh, uh, yeah, we're doubling up these days. Uh, our time here in the States uh, is a little bit uh, restricted, and so uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, and so we're, we're both uh, hitting uh, the different places and uh, churches that support us. And so uh, she sends her greetings, and uh, we just uh, thank you so much for your support. 
Suzanne, you'll see there in that picture, uh, Suzanne is a registered nurse and uh, holds a doctorate in public health, in fact, uh, and she is the director of our um, is the director of all of our social humanitarian work uh, in the Assemblies of God World Missions for the continent of Africa, and she directs in, uh, a ministry called Africa Oasis. Uh, I serve as the area director in Central Africa, which means I lead our missionary terms, our, our missionary teams in the countries of Central Africa, places like Nigeria and Congo, Cameroon, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea. Uh, I lead our teams as we uh, work to uh, partner with uh, our national churches uh, to plant new churches, uh, provide training to those churches that are being established and growing and bring them into maturity. Uh, so we're, uh, and then obviously, and then reaching out to touch uh, uh, the physical need of people as well. And so that's kind of a little bit of, of what we do. And then probably a more recent responsibility for me in the last few years, since I've probably seen you last, is I suppose they looked around and they said, well, who's the guy that's been around the longest? And they looked at me and said, oh, how about you, Pat? And uh, so now I have, uh, and it's a great joy and a great privilege uh, to now uh, lead a team of people that is responsible for uh, on-ramping and providing training for all of our new missionaries that come to the continent. And so everybody who uh, comes on to the continent as new missionaries now, uh, we have a, a very specific intentional training program for them where we uh, teach them about uh, the Bible and theology of mission, and, but we teach them about understanding culture and then how to, you know, how to uh, divest ourselves of our, you know, you said kind of our American way of Christianity. How do we divest ourselves of our American version, our template, you know, of Christianity and apply what the Bible says and then make that connection cross-culturally in other languages? languages and other cultural contexts. And so it's a lot of fun to uh, be a mentor now and to uh, coach a whole new generation of, uh, of missionaries that are coming up. I want to talk to you today uh, about the power of staying. Uh, let, and as I mentioned, uh, we've, been at this for, uh, uh, we've been at this for 33 years. And I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, it's a blessing, really. That's, and if I were to give a title to this message, I would, that's what I would call it, the blessing of staying. It's about staying where God has called us to stay. I've learned, and Suzanne and I both have learned this over the years, it's one thing to be called to go. But it is an entirely different matter to be called to stay. <laughs> uh, it's your finances uh, that send us, but it's your prayers uh, that causes us to stay. And so let me take, chase a, the first rabbit trail already this morning. What a great time of prayer this morning. You are missing out at 9 o'clock if you are not in there in that prayer room. It was just a wonderful time of prayer. There are people in there who will walk with you and carry this journey, uh, walk with you on this journey and carry the burden with you uh, to pray with you. You've got praying people in this church. And so, man, what an incredible opportunity. The presence of God was there this morning. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, come and, and be there and be a part of the prayers. And, and so, as I was saying, it's your, it's your finances that send us, but it's the prayers that cause us to, cause us to stick. 
And so that's what I want to talk about, uh, that, we, that you have been with us uh, throughout uh, all of these years of, of staying with us. And it's not only our story, uh, but it's your story. And the power of, of staying, you know, it's, and this concept, this idea of staying, um, I, I, I suspect that it's been, um, or the idea of persevering and sticking with something, you know, to the very end. I suspect that it's been, a, a, it's been diluted over the last few years. Uh, the mentality of sticking with something, uh, even whenever it's not going our way. Or we're not getting the desired results that we anticipated. Or something is not quite living up to our expectations. Uh, generally speaking, I think today in the West, uh, we in the Western world, we tend to value change. When something, uh, a new cell phone comes out, we take, go into AT&T and T-Mobile and we change in our old cell phone and we get a new cell phone. Some of us, we change houses or maybe we might stay in the house, but we get bored with our house and we remodel it or we move the furniture around and, and, and we do this and that. And I'm not really against change per se like that. But what I am, and, and, and that change really, or I'm not saying that change is inherently wrong, but I am acknowledging the fact that our culture today, we tend to place a high value on change. When things are the same for too long, we tend to look around and we look for ways to change it. If something's not going wrong, we immediately want to change it, and we look, uh, we look in a different direction. We hit a rough spot in our marriage. Maybe it's not quite as hunky-dory as, as we had thought it was. The feelings aren't there. And we begin to think of separation and maybe even divorce. We go to a job and maybe we don't get the promotion or we don't get the recognition that maybe we think we, we need or we're asked to do a difficult assignment or task and don't really want to stick with it and stay all the way through. We begin looking for other jobs and other opportunities. How about this one? Uh, we go to our church, and they change the format of worship. Or it's a different worship leader. And all of a sudden, we get antsy, and we get offended by this, or we get offended by that. When it really just boils down to preferences, and, and we start looking around, and we think about maybe going to another church. Now, again... I'm not criticizing change. I am just trying to bring to the surface and the idea that we as Westerners uh, in the Western world, we tend to place a high value on change. Staying can be difficult. There's no doubt about it. it ha but I want to share with you today the benefits of sticking with something and staying through with something to the very end. I was a young missionary, and I was probably in our first term, and I was moaning and groaning. I was complaining to the senior missionary about something. And he looked at me, and he said to me, he said, did you ever stop to think that if you are enjoying success today, it's because somebody else before you suffered did you ever stop to think that maybe the person who is suffering today, and if you're, and he was saying, looking at me, and if you're suffering, then maybe your suffering is for the joy and for the success of someone who's going to come along after you? 
He said, stop thinking so individualistic and isolated in your, in, in your thinking. I mean, he really, he really took me on, and I needed it. And he said to me, he said, he said, he said, and he was always fond of saying this. He said, but God's will for your very best is directly related to all the rest. You see, God never intended us to live the Christian life alone. He put us here on this earth, and he put us in community, and he intended for the Christian life and the Christian faith to be shared in community and to be lived out in community. And that's why the New Testament speaks so often. You'll, you'll find dozens, maybe I think there are upwards of 30 references in the New Testament that have some kind of one another phrase to it. Love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. Because we're designed to live the Christian life together. And it's that is where we find the power of staying. It's through the encouragement and the prayers and the support of one another. And that is then is when the character is developed in us and what God is trying to work out in our lives. No matter if it's a time of suffering and it's a difficult time and right now we're, 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 we're just right in the midst of it and we're just trying to per- persevere and, and just keep our, our, our nose above water, it's because God is working out His purposes within you because he's thinking about other people around you. He's thinking about the other person that's going to come along. And, and because you've walked this journey and the, the difficult time you're going through right now, you're going to be able to minister. You're going to be have incredible keen insight and discernment into that person's journey because you've walked that path. And you're going to be the one to know exactly what to say. You're going to be the one to exactly know what to pray and exactly what they're going to need in that moment because you have walked that journey as well. And so whatever trial, whatever uh, tribulation, whatever difficulty that you might be encountering today, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you today, stick with it. Stay close to Jesus. There is power in staying. And God's will for your very best is directly related to the rest. All those that you come in contact on a daily basis. Because Everything that God does in our lives, he does with others in mind. We see this all throughout the scriptures. So I want to talk to you today about, uh, about the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 19. If we could, please. Let's see. Uh, how do I? There we go. Acts chapter 19. I want to talk to you about the power of staying. I just want to read a little bit of a portion from Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So when we read through the book of Acts, we notice that Paul was an itinerant missionary. In his first two missionary journeys, he went around from place to place. He would go into a city. He would preach. The Holy Spirit would work and bring conviction in people's hearts. They would give their lives to Jesus. They'd take a bold step out of darkness and come into, uh, come into the light. Many people would, uh, would accept him. And then, uh, and, and then a, little, a local church, a, a gathering of believers would be raised up. And Paul, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, he would affirm uh, the leaders that the Holy Spirit was raising up in those churches, and he would pray over them, he would set everything in place, and then he would go on down the road to the next city, and, and, and the same pattern would repeat itself over and over again throughout those first two missionary journeys. But here at the start of his third missionary journey, we see that Paul changed his strategy. He started, he, this time we see that he came to Ephesus and he stayed. And he started training. He started today what we would call a church planting school. The Bible links him that uh, during this time to nearly 80 to 100 people that he would have raised up that would have been sent out uh, from this area. And this was the multiplication principle. He stayed he invested in locals. He trained people then who went out, and then they, in turn, became church planters. Now, during that time, we read further in, the, in, in Acts chapter 19 that Paul faced intense persecution during that time. Ephesus was a demonic city. It was a, it was a, a, a politically influential city. It was an economically influential city. But it was particularly known for its worship of the god Artemis. And so it was a spiritually dark city. And, so it's, and Paul knew very well what he was walking into. That's why when he arrived in Ephesus and he found the disciples, the first thing he asked was, have you received the Spirit? Because he knew it was going to take a spiritual breakthrough. It was going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to break the yoke of bondage and the darkness that reigned and prevailed over that city. That was his first preoccupation because it was such a, an evil city bound in darkness. Let me tell you about a modern-day stayer. His name is Pastor Yembe. Pastor Yembe is... Just a, he's a simple, humble man living in the city of Kinshasa, a city of about, 18, about 15 million people. He came through the Bible school where I was a teacher, and I taught him, and then Suzanne worked with him and, uh, on some compassion-related projects and mentored him. Pastor Yembe felt a real desire, a strong call to go to a part of the Kinshasa, to a part of the city that was really uh, isolated, uh, it was a spiritually dark, spiritually oppressive city. And he felt called to go into that uh, part of the city, and he felt called to plant a church. And so we partnered with him, and we helped him to plant that church. And after a while, after he began to get to know the neighbors and everything, and we helped him uh, with, a uh, with a, what we call a tabernacle, a simple pole-building structure uh, to put up the, the building. And Every Sunday morning, people would come, and they would worship, and it would be a joyful occasion. But the neighbor next door 
was very antagonistic to Pastor Yembe. And in his church, it was a pole building, and so uh, the, uh, you know, it, it had walls up to about three-fourths of the way through them. And what the neighbor would do is he would, during the worship service, he would get buckets of water, and he would throw buckets of water over the wall to try to disrupt the service. It got so bad that sometimes Pastor Yembe would arrive on Sunday mornings and there at the foot of the, at the entrance into the church would be chicken bones and chicken feathers where the gentleman had, during the night, had performed uh, cultic rituals and called down evil spirits and curses upon Pastor Yembe uh, and the church. Nonetheless, Pastor Yembe and the congregants, they just kept on about their business, kept on worshiping the Lord, witnessing in the community, making inroads. And he was working with Suzanne on identifying some of the, just the, the felt needs of the community. And one of the things that came to the surface as they were doing a community survey uh, was the issue of malaria among uh, young mothers and children. Malaria is the number one killer of children under the age of five. Malaria is caused by a night-biting mosquito, uh, and uh, that when it bites you, will transmit uh, the, the malaria disease. And so one of the, a real common, effective way to prevent against malaria is to sleep underneath uh, a mosquito net. And so uh, Suzanne trained, uh, was able to procure some uh, mosquito nets through a generous offering of a church over in Seattle. A lady was having her 40th birthday, and she said, I don't want people giving me uh, any gifts or anything for my birthday. Uh, let's just partner with Suzanne, and everybody, let's just give all your, anything you give to me, and let's, let's buy some mosquito nets. And I took up an offering for Suzanne and got these mosquito nets. And then Suzanne trained this team and how to distribute the mosquito nets and identifying young mothers and children under the, uh, age of five, uh, under the age of five. I mean, just in this little neighborhood, there were probably close to, uh, I call it a neighborhood, but a part of the city, a million people. There's no way you can give a, you know, mosquito nets to a million people. So they just identified strategically those who are in the most need and then trained them in a gospel message. And so when you live in a fear-based society like this, where us as Americans, most often we would say that our greatest felt need uh, is, is we, we talk a lot about the love of God. But from an African perspective, their greatest felt need is fear because they live in these spiritually dark, cultic, uh, animistic societies where a lot of witchcraft and voodoo goes on. And so their greatest felt need is, is protection from the evil spirits. And so the gospel hook then was is about these mosquito nets that when you sleep under the mosquito net, you're living underneath the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then no harm shall befall you. No evil spirits will come against you. And so that is, was the gospel message as they, as they shared this. As they were handing out the nets, it became known to them that the gentleman next door had a daughter and that daughter just had a baby, and that baby was having terrible bouts with malaria. And so they went to the gentleman, and they said, we understand that uh, your granddaughter has, uh, has struggles with malaria, and so we're sharing mosquito nets with people, and they share the gospel message with them and said, with your permission, your blessing, we would like to be able to, uh, we'd like to, be able to share this with your family. And to everyone's great surprise, he just immediately just said, welcome them in. And, and, and just his heart just melted. 
And he invited them in, and they showed him how to hang it up inside the house. And after a few weeks, they noticed that the young child was not having malaria any longer. Now the family members started coming to church. The old man, he wasn't quite to that point yet. And the last we heard is, is that he takes his chair and he comes and he sits it right next to the door of the church where he used to sacrifice chickens. Now he puts his little plastic chair there. He brings it over from his house and puts a little plastic chair there and he listens to the church service. The whole community, they had known about this intense conflict and now the community heard of the restoration that had happened. And so you see... When people are restored to God, that makes then the restoration, the transformation that was talked about during the testimony time, that's what makes that possible. In an area of community where the street gangs used to roam and sing songs about uh, their great power and might and how everybody should be afraid of these street gangs, they changed their songs and now to sing about Pastor Yembe. How cool is that? You know, you're a pastor and you've got your own security detail. You know, uh, you know the, the street gangs, have tur- they got your back. The street gangs are, are now uh, your own security service. <laughs> That's transformation. This is what happens when someone goes and they stays. Because you've stayed with us in financial and prayer support. This has helped us to stay on the field for all these years. Staying on the field then helped us to be a part of Pastor Yembe's training and mentoring. And then Pastor Yembe stayed and is there to this day in this dark community. Despite the persecution and despite the difficulties, Jesus is presented in the darkness and transformation is taking place. I want to tell you the story of another stayer. This is Pastor Gideon. He's from another part of of Africa in the city of Lome, uh, Togo, West Africa, another growing, urban, sprawling area that we had the privilege of training. And uh, I taught him in Bible school, and Suzanne uh, mentored him as well in, in compassion-related ministries. Pastor Gideon felt a, a call to the Lord to plant a, a church in a part of the city that was uh, experiencing growth, and it was kind of, uh, it was kind of people were being pushed uh, out, out of, to the extreme limits of the city, and, and there was just no place to live, and these little shanty towns were springing up. And the only place where he could find a place uh, to, to plant his church was right next to a garbage dump. And, you know, there are different layers to poverty uh, in Africa, and I would say this would have to be the poorest of the poor. And he went in there, and he planted a church And in this part of the community, there was a lot of HIV and AIDS. And so Suzanne worked with Pastor Gideon and and, and a team of volunteers, and they trained him in in how to just bring up and address the subject of AIDS and to the point that people would feel comfortable just even coming to church because, uh, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, there was uh, sometimes there's some judginess going on. Uh, in the church as, re- as it relates to HIV, HIV AIDS because it's transmitted through uh, in the sexual nature in which it's transmitted. And, and so people were fearful to come into the church and yet they're hurting and they're desperate for, for solutions and answers. They need hope and they, their physical needs need to be met. And so Suzanne just started working with them on, on, a, on an awareness campaign. 
And slowly, people began changing their, their, uh, their thoughts and their attitudes and their understanding towards AIDS, and the church then became a welcoming place. Well, lo and behold, it turned out that even there were people in the church who were HIV st- positive. They were just hiding their status because they were fearful for how they would be accepted by people in the church. It turned out that there was a young family that... Um, uh, that had a, had a young daughter that was born uh, with AIDS, and it was transmitted from, uh, from the mother to the daughter. And then during the birthing process, AIDS just really just took over uh, the, mother, uh, 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 the mother's body, and it ex- accelerated and started growing at a, uh, on a very rapid rate. And that team of people that Suzanne worked with and with Pastor Gideon began to care for that, uh, for that young family, for the young husband and for the wife as she, was, uh, as she was dying. And, you know, there's no hospice care or anything like that. Basically, uh, she was just in her little mud hut um, uh, laying on a mat on the, on the floor. And that committee uh, and the last... A uh, few uh, months and weeks of her life was around the clock there every day. The worst thing to happen in Africa is to be sick alone and then to die alone. It's humane in any context, but especially in Africa. And they cooked food and they cared for the family. They prayed and they read the scriptures together. And the lady eventually... Um, the lady eventually passed away and slipped off into eternity and met Jesus. And as was the tradition in that part of Africa, the family then will, will come and take the body, and then they will quickly bury the body um, and, uh, and then, and, and because of the heat and, and everything. And, and so they'll quickly bury the body. But the family was from, uh, from the north, about, about an eight-hour, ten-hour drive away. And they were from a predominantly non-Christian area, kind of a Muslim, animistic area, Africa traditional religions. They knew their daughter had this disease called AIDS, and they didn't quite know what that meant. But there was so much stigmatism, so much judgment around it, that it brought a great deal of shame to them. And so rather than coming into town and to collect the body and to take the body back to the birth village and to bury their daughter, because of all of the stigmatism and the shame around it, they arrived to the city and they waited there. They arrived just you know, late in the afternoon and they waited because they did not want to come into town uh, during daylight. They wanted to just come to the house in the nighttime hours quickly gather their daughter's body and belongings and then take her back to the birth village. So that family, that little committee of people that Suzanne worked with and Pastor Gideon, they took up an offering, prepared some food, and they were waiting for the young lady's family to arrive. They waited, they waited, and they waited. Finally, about 2 o'clock in the morning, the family arrived at the house. Feelings of shame, not knowing how they were going to be received. They'd heard the stories of how people had been mistreated. And to their great surprise, the church 
members of the church were there, and they welcomed them in, and they said, please come in, and they offered hospitality, which is a huge thing culturally in Africa, and they sat them down. They brought food to them. In Africa, you never ask someone if you're thirsty or if you're hungry. You just, you just bring it to them and just sat them down and gave them food and gave them water and drink and then began to share with them how much the people in the church started to love their daughter and started telling stories about their daughter and brought joy into the life of this family and said, we want you to know your daughter knew Jesus. And today your daughter is with Jesus in heaven. And we just want you to know how much we loved her and cared for her and appreciated her. And so we have this offering for you to help pay for some of the expenses. And, and we just, uh, you know, and, we'll, and there are people here prepared to go with you on this journey to take your daughter all the way back to the village. The family was just, they were, they were just blown away, for lack of a better word, at the extension of love and hospitality that was demonstrated to them. And on the journey back, church members witnessed and told stories, and gradually people, <laughs> gradually people in the family, uh, they gave their lives to Jesus, and, and they had the funeral, and the people stayed around and made sure everyone was doing okay. And out of that little experience, an Assemblies of God church was planted in that village. And that church is there to this day and is growing and thriving. We helped them with a pole metal building structure as well in that church. And a thriving church is there today. So again, these are the stories of Pastor Yembe and Pastor Zidion. But they're also your stories. It's like what Pastor mentioned about... Man, congratulations uh, on the fact that you are not only fulfilling your mission's budget, but you're going over the top, and we're going to have some ice cream today. That's great. But rejoice with us in the fact that the pastor Gideon and the pastor Yembe's and, and, you know, dozens and hundreds of other pastors and and church leaders like this are, 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 are being trained today and are betting in communities and... And they're, and, and they're staying. So thanks to partners like you, we've been able to stay in Africa all these years. We've been able to learn culture and build relationships and, speak, and learn languages. We, we speak French and we speak Lingala. We both preach and teach in those languages. It hasn't been easy. We've had moments of serious discouragement. I mentioned at the beginning, our first term, whew, that was a doozy. Ended with a war and evacuation, and, and we had, had no idea what was, what was next. We've had our share of experiences with illnesses, and we've packed our evacuation bags on three different occasions when we found ourselves in civil unrest. One time, we actually used those evacuation bags. The other two times, the Lord spared us, and we were able to stay. During that time, three of our parents passed away. And we sent three children across the ocean back here to America to attend college where the family was waiting to them and saying, Welcome home! And our children were like, Home? I just left home. America is a strange place to me and to have to put your kids on a plane and send them back. Whew, boy, those were tough days. 
those were tough days. And I'll be honest, there were times I just, there were times I wanted to quit. But God wouldn't let me. And it's because of praying people like you. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. It's because of people like yourselves who have prayed and prayed us through. And so these 30 years in Africa, to be brutally honest, we went to Africa 22 years old. We were going to change the world. We were going to change Africa. Watch out, Africa. Here come Pat and Suzanne. Here comes the greatest preacher, you know, ever grace the, grace the earth. Truth be told, Africa changed us. It gripped our hearts. And we are honored to say that it is our home. And now America is a place that we come and visit. It's a strange reality. It's a strange thing to have to go through. To be a citizen of heaven <laughs> and then have a home in Africa and have a home in, home in America and walk that tightrope. But let's go a little bit further. What I find interesting in this story about Acts chapter 19, and I like about this passage, is that Paul was thinking about what's next. It's like in the text, it opens up this, this parenthesis. Even though it was difficult, and he's experiencing opposition, revival was also happening there, and he's training up pastors, and they were going out all over the place planting churches. And we then read, and now after these events... Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul was looking ahead. He was a man of vision, and he was looking ahead. But it wasn't time to go. He wasn't looking to run away from anything difficult. But he himself decided to stay. And so that's the other principle I want to share with you today. Is that no matter what, where you're at on this journey. If you are in a period of time where everything is going well and great and you're enjoying uh, enjoying life. Then shout hallelujah. That's great. It's because somebody else has suffered before you. If you're in this journey in a spot where you're encountering difficulty and, 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 and suffering and, and maybe some persecution, I don't know. I just want to encourage you today, stay with it. Stay with it. Stay close to Jesus, and he will walk with you through this. He is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel who said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the ends of the earth. The man who gave that promise had the name Emmanuel. So he knew something of what he was talking about when he said, I'll be with you. And right here in Deer Park, Washington today, even if on this journey you're experiencing a time of trial and testing, I want to encourage you today that Emmanuel is with you. Stay with it. Stick with it. He will see you through. And when he sees you through to the other side, 
You're going to be in a position now to minister to all the rest. Because that's been God's plan all along. is to get to those people who are still walking in darkness. To the beaten and the downtrodden and those who need a word of encouragement and need a demonstration of the love of Christ. Need a physical representation of Jesus in their lives right here in Deer Park. So when you stay through things, I think it just adds another tool to our tool belt. And we become a little bit more discerning or battle savvy, if you will. And we become sensitive to the needs of people around us. And we understand a little bit something more and a little bit more depth and the sweetness of the faithfulness of God in our lives. And it gives us the credentials and the authenticity then to be able to speak to people around us and to share the good news of Jesus and to minister to them and walk in the Spirit as we minister to them. And so as we uh, bring this to a close today, I want to thank you again for your support of us. We're getting ready to go back. We, we are anticipating doing more church planting, of like what these kind of stories we've told you, very holistic and training. We're envisioning a church plant now in, uh, in the country of Cameroon, in the northern part of Cameroon, in an Islamic uh, neighborhood, uh, in the town of Ngandere. I think I got it. Well, that's a picture of Ngandere and, and uh, a young girl in Ngandere to reach young ladies like this and their families. And it's going to take about $20,000 to plant a church there. And so that's our project that we're raising funds for as uh, we get ready to go back. We appreciate anything that you would uh, want to give to, uh, to that. But I want to just close in, uh, in prayer for you today. And I want to pray for those of you. I want to pray for those of you. I'm going to ask you to do something uh, a little bit bold, but um, I want us to just close our uh, eyes and bow our heads. And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And Pastor Tim, would you come and, and play that song, Lord, I Give You My All, that we play, sang during worship? You know, I so appreciate Pastor Tim and Pastor Cindy. I was thinking about this on the way driving here and just alone in the car, praying and thinking, uh, knowing I was going to be preaching on staying, and thinking of the first time I met them uh, here, uh, somewhere in the early 2000s. You know what? They're stayers. You guys are, you guys, I, don't, I preach all over the country, cities, rural churches, everywhere. And I want to tell you something. That's not the case nowadays. Your pastors are stayers. They are stayers. I want us just to pray. And if you are in this journey and you're just in a time of trial and suffering and just having some difficulties, I want to ask you to do something bold. And I want to ask you just to stand wherever you are. And we're going to be the body of Christ. And we're going to pray for you in the obedience to the scriptures of pray for one another, exhort one another. So wherever you are, would you just stand, please? Just wherever you are, just, just stand. And then the others, the others of you who are, it's okay, man. Nothing to be ashamed of. If, if Man, if life is great and, and you're enjoying the presence of the Lord and the blessing of God, then shout hallelujah. 
we want you then, to, if you feel comfortable, if you feel okay, I would like for you to uh, just stretch out your hand towards uh, your brothers and sisters who are standing. And maybe you might know someone, and if you want to get up and move to them and lay your hands on them, then that's okay. But we, just for the next few minutes, for those of you who, uh, those of you who are, things are going well, I want you to just now just lift up, lift up your voices, stretch your, extend your hands towards our brothers and sisters, and let's just begin to lift our voices, and let's just pray for one another. Let's be the body of Jesus right now, ministering in the, in the Spirit to one another. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, right now, we just invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to come. Lord, we just pray your Holy Spirit to come and minister to us now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, we want to pray for uh, those who are maybe facing uh, a time of discouragement or, or they're up against some very difficult uh, trials and up against maybe some difficult decisions that have to be made. Relationships that are, that are stressed and full of tension. Lord, we, uh, concerns and worries about studies or concerns and worries about jobs, concerns and worries about what the future may hold. Lord, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will come. And Lord, that you will begin to minister to, uh, to them now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that, uh, that, Lord, that they would have staying power. And Lord, that they would, with you with them, Jesus, you, Emmanuel, that they, as they lean into your spirit, they lean into your word, Lord, that they would stay their way. They would persevere through the challenges and the difficulties that they may be experiencing now to come out on the other side of victory so that they might be better shaped, better formed, your character be made in them and shaped in them so that they might be more sensitive and that they might be more discerning and that you might accomplish your will in their lives for the rest, for those who live around them, those whom they work with, those who they share the same house with. I pray those whom they go to school with, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit now and that you would just encourage them and that you would strengthen them. Lord, that they would lift up their eyes and they would see you, Jesus. Lord, we're getting ready to walk into Easter work, into Easter week. And Lord, when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate an empty tomb and we celebrate a resurrected Christ. Lord, we celebrate hope that comes from new life. And so God, I pray this week that you would pour your hope into them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that they would be able to look beyond a cross and they would see an empty tomb and they would see the resurrected Jesus. They would see the ascended Jesus. They would experience the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost that was poured out by the resurrected Son. Lord, that they would experience the work of the Spirit in their life today. And they would be filled with the hope that this same Jesus whom we've seen ascend into heaven is the same Jesus who will be returning soon. God, I pray that you would just, uh, we just come against discouragement. We come against loneliness. We come against feelings of isolation now in the name of Jesus. We come against the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, for your hope to be poured out into their hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, for your Holy Spirit to be made real to them. And they would hear the words once again of Emmanuel. Fear not, it is I. I am with you. You are with them, walking with them. 
commit them now into your hands. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you all. You may be seated.